You're listening to a podcast of Furious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, today we're going to be talking all about the 10th Doctor, David Tennant. Uh, obviously we're doing this because he's coming back. Uh, with me I have Holly. Hello. And I have Connor. Hello. So uh, two, two Spurious podcast Spodcasts, we're calling it Spodcast now aren't we? Uh, two Spod... yes definitely. Two Spodcast uh, returnees, you've both been on with us a couple of times before at least. So yeah, good to have you back. Um, so, obviously the big news in Doctor Who land at the moment is that uh, David Tennant and Catherine Tate are officially returning. Uh, there's filming going on at the minute. Uh, there are sort of reports coming out of that filming, but we are not going to talk about that. So your spoiler warning this week is we're going to be talking about all David Tennant that's been on telly or has been released by Big Finish. Um, obviously, we're going to refer to the fact that Tennant Tate are coming back, but we're not going to spoil anything that's been on those set reports. So don't worry if you're avoiding those spoilers, you are safe here. Um, so I've kind of spoken to both of you guys already about uh, Tennant and Tate returning but uh, like Holly you jumped on and did that sort of speedy recording that we had recorded and uploaded within an hour when the news was announced <laughs> yes, um, now yes. that we're a little bit further along just sort of have you any sort of further thoughts on it is there anything else that you kind of considered um, you know what, I, since, since it was announced, obviously we've been getting all these set reports, which I won't talk about, but, um, it's just so exciting. I just, I just love seeing something new every day and like, yeah, I can't remember the last time I was sort of this excited for, for brand new Doctor Who, even though it's years away, that, that just the fact that we're getting snippets already, it's, uh, it's really cool. I love it. Yeah, I'd agree. I remember sort of um, back on the original Russell T. Davis run and sort of being, I, was, I, was, I think it was 12 when sort of Series 1 came out. So a few years after that was when I started finding my way onto forums and that kind of thing. And that's when I started seeing, you know, these images from the set and spoilers popping up, that kind of thing. And 
I hadn't realised just a how brilliant a publicity it was for the series because it really is great. It's you know, Twitter's full of these images that we're not going to spoil. Um, but uh, it's it is exciting. It does build up excitement just sort of knowing oh there's going to be you know a scene at this place. This person's going to be in that scene. Uh, yeah, it, it really has sort of brought back a wave of nostalgia and I'm too very excited what about you Connor yeah I definitely get that excitement as well and it has sort of um, every time I've seen you know some of the set photos or or something and I've seen them them back as those characters again it has it has taken me back in time to 2008 seeing them on TV the first time round and it's it's still something that I have to sort of pinch myself is that they're coming back that we're going to get a new tenth Doctor and Donna story, in in one form or another. Um, so yeah, it's hugely exciting. I do still have those sort of. I think I mentioned last week that I was I was I was a little apprehensive about it just because we're going from um, the first female Doctor and Jodie back to you know, deliberately moving back to the golden age in a way I don't think is really necessary. But I'm a Doctor Who fan. I'm always going to be excited to see David Tennant again. You know, it feels sometimes that he's hardly been away. But, you know, because he, he's done so much big finish and he's done um, the games and, and, and whatnot. But it's 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 a quite a different thing to see him back on a TV set as the Doctor again and, and Catherine Tate as well. So... Yeah, definitely, definitely excited and definitely looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I do, I do know what you mean about like going from from Jodie to David Tennant, and I do hope he's not. I hope he's not the only Doctor we get back in the sixtieth. But I think there's a lot of there's just a lot of context in there that we that we don't have and won't have for so long. And I think it has the potential. Well, like anything, it has the potential to be terrible and it has the potential to be amazing. Uh, so yeah, but I get the apprehension. I do get that. I think one sort of concern I've seen listed a few times really is, um, you know, with it, we're assuming it's the 60th anniversary special. There are rumours that we're getting an episode every single week between the regeneration and the 60th, all that kind of ridiculous rumours. Um, but assuming it is the 60th, it's kind of I don't just want it to be celebrating that fourth series of New Who. You know, I want it to look at the other sort of 59 years that have come beforehand as well. Um, which I think uh, Day of the Doctor, obviously it was very New Who centric, but it certainly had plenty around it to kind of celebrate the entire history of the show. Um you know, it had five-ish Doctors, it had Night of the Doctor with McGann in it. Um, there was the after party, which, you know, despite One Direction-related issues, it was just great to see so many people that had been involved with the show over the full 50 years uh, in in one room. It was you know, quite good to watch, that was. But yeah, I, I really don't want the 60th to just be about that one really good series from 2008 when there's so much other stuff there as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I suppose that's what I mean about context as well, is like, we don't know for sure, but um, I imagine there'll be so, there'll be older doctors in the centenary and you don't want to like be retreading the same ground in the very next episode, even if it is going to be a year later or, or whatever it's going to be. I suppose that's it. There's two very big celebratory episodes. Okay, they're a year apart, but in all likelihood they're going to be consecutive episodes. It's going to be quite strange, really, um, to have that. But yeah, hopefully they'll find a balance and hopefully it'll all work out being brilliant. I have faith. So we'll move on then. I'm just going to throw a bit of a bit of a quick fire question at you guys um i'll start with you holly it's a big question what is david tennant's best series oh that's a horrible question that's a horrible um uh for me it's it's between two and four i think not that i don't absolutely love series three as well i mean you've got human nature and blink in there just for starters uh and smith and jones but um, yeah, I think between two and four, it just it just changes depending on my mood, essentially. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what I, that's so. There you go. That's helpful for you. So, so you've narrowed it down to two thirds of David Tennant's run as the Doctor. There, then that's yeah. That's a whole sixty-six percent. That's yeah. yeah. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> uh, what about you, Connor? I I definitely would go for series four. I think um, I do love series two, but I think on a week to week basis, series four is just that little bit stronger. Um, and and Donna's got to be my favorite tenth Doctor companion, so having her in there definitely tips the scales on that one. That's, That's fair. fair enough. Yeah, I think Donna Donna could be a game changer there. However. I'm going to go with series three. Ooh, just to be controversial. Nice. Bit of balance. Um, I th- series three was where I really, really started enjoying it. Um, I'd, even though I was born in the wilderness years, I'd seen the majority of sort of classic Who before the new series started. Um, and series three was where just odd little bits for sort of classic fans started slipping in uh, a little bit more. You know, Runaway Bride, we get our first reference to Gallifrey. And all of a sudden, what we were watching suddenly started to feel a little bit more like part of that huge universe that had come before it. And I understand why sort of series one and two were fairly self-contained and um, that kind of thing, it had to re-establish itself, it had to be a new thing, it had to bring in a new generation of fans, um, which it did absolutely excellently. But Series 3 was the one where I sort of felt like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm even though I was 14, 15 at the time, I was still a bit of an old school fan, and it was Series 3 that really kind of made me think, oh yeah, this is for me as well, actually. Yeah, I know what you mean. All right, well, I'll go series two then. Then we've got all bases covered. Uh, so we've we've managed to not definitively work out what David Tennant's best series is then. So good start. <laughs> it's Dalek Universe. That. It's Dalek Universe. 
No, Connor, oh, no. Yeah. We, sh- we should all have said Dalek Universe. <laughs> or The Infinite Quest. Oh, God. Oh, I haven't seen that for years. Um, what was the other one? There was another animated one, wasn't there? Dreamland? Um, Dreamland, that's the one, yeah. Uh, again, haven't seen it for absolutely years. I don't think I've seen it at all, to my shame. There were there were things that were made. Oh, okay. High praise. <laughs> I think I saw bits of them when they originally went out, but I haven't. I haven't actually watched them again for years. I'm pretty yeah. sure I've got them on DVD stashed away somewhere. I'll have to have a look. But yeah, that was. Uh, there was actually even before he joined Big Finish, there was a lot more David Tennant than just those three series and a few specials. Um, he turned up in uh, Wedding Sarah Jane as well, didn't he? Yeah, which and, uh, was lovely. Yeah, it was great. All right, then. So we're going to talk about each of David Tennant's series in order. Uh, so we're going to start with series two. Um, it's your favourite, Holly. Why is that? Uh, yes, yes, it is. I think I get that. Like on paper, if you look at if you look at some of those episodes in series four, I'll maybe concede that they're stronger than the Epson series two. But I think I don't. I don't know if I will concede that. <laughs> I think what I love about series two is um. There's so there's so many good stories in there, and I think they get more overlooked than stuff in series four. So, like Tooth and Claw, I could I love Tooth and Claw so much. I think it's uh, it's it's kind of straightforward Doctor Who in a way. Like they go to they go to a, a manor, and there's a werewolf, and they get chased around, and you know, like what more. But sort of, what more do you need if you're doing it as well as Tooth and Claw does? Because um, it's not it's not just that. Like, within that, you've got some really grown-up sort of themes. You know, like, where Victoria is talking about um, the charm of a ghost story and how the scares and the thrills, those are for children. And actually, in a way, it, it gives sort of hope and consolation to adults after they've lost someone. And I think I just think there's loads going on uh, in it, and and yeah, to be honest, I would struggle to find a dud in series two, including via her. Uh, fight me. Um, I, I, I don't like fear her. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> we'll leave that there. Um, I don't I don't love fear her, but I think it's uh, slightly unfairly maligned, maybe. It, yeah, it's just one that unfortunately never never clicked with me. I do quite like Fear Her, I have to be honest, simply because it brings Doctor Who away from, you know, the classic series. You went to all these far-flung places, but something that the new series did was bring it onto your front doorstep. And Fear Her is always the one that sticks out for me in that regard, because it, it, you could literally set that story on any housing estate in the world and not change a thing. That's Doctor Who in our world all of a sudden rather than some far away alien parallel dimension yeah i think and i think that's the strength of series two as as a whole really is because you've also it's it's it is very grounded and you keep bringing it back to 
the likes of Jackie and, and Mickey and yeah, it's just there's an extra sort of emotional heft to it, I think, that um that the classic series doesn't even try to do, which is obviously fair enough, like it's it's not trying to do it and therefore it's doing other things amazingly. But I think that's yeah, it's just something I love about series two specifically. And series four as well, to a slightly lesser extent. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just, um, I was, I really, really liked in series one with Christopher Eccleston. I thought Rose was great. I thought Rose was a great character. By series two, is that sort of companion development that's been used a couple of times now, which is the companion starts to get a bit cocky and a little bit too used to travelling in the TARDIS. And, you know, we got the same thing with Clara and I suppose Amy and Rory to an extent as well. Um, and yeah, Rose in series two, we just don't get on. Um, and I think Fear Her is perhaps one of the worst episodes for that. Maybe because Rose actually gets to take centre stage for a good chunk of it. Um, the Doctor gets turned into a drawing. And therefore Rose has to kind of save the day. And she saves the day by sort of shouting at people. And that's about it, really. Um <laughs> Oh, I don't know if I can accept yeah. this. Very slander. <laughs> very sorry. Um, I mean, another episode you've mentioned, Tooth and Claw. It's also not a favourite. I'm not doing very well here, am I? <laughs> I knew you were going to say. Um, to be, yeah, I know. It's I know. the, it's the um, you are not amused gags, isn't it? Here we go. Yeah. Come on then. It's, people are literally being torn to pieces by a werewolf and a good chunk of the episode is taken up by Rose trying to get Queen Victoria to say that she's not amused. <laughs> it's it's ill-judged on her part, I'll give you that. <laughs> um, and it, like I say, I can see where it was going. It was part of the character's development. Oh, I'm so used to this, you know. It, it's, But it, it's, I don't know, she just comes across as a bit bitchy and unpleasant, I suppose. But it's, that's me. It, it's... I, you know, there's a lot in that series. There is a lot in series two that I do enjoy. Um, I think Love and Monsters is brilliant. I think uh, Russell T Davis sort of turning round and deciding he uh, sort of wanted to, in a way, write about fandom um, uh, as it was at yeah. that point. I thought yeah. that was quite good. No, I, I absolutely adore Love and Monsters. Um, I think it's I think it's genius kind of for that reason. Uh and it also features uh <laughs> Mr. Skinner reading them an extract from his novel, and it really can't be overstated that the line he reads them is uh that's the last time you ride the ghost train, Johnny Franzetta <laughs> which makes me laugh every time because I don't know what it means, but it's brilliant. It's just a great out of context line. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, what about you, Connor? Sort of thoughts on series two. Um, I think I like the whole more than I like any individual episode. Um, there's obviously there's a couple of real gems in there. Um, including one of my all-time favorite new series ones. It's the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. Um, but there's a few in there that I I really loved it at the time, and it was the perfect version of Doctor Who for me at the time. But it's not one that I, I think it's something I've maybe moved away from as I've gotten a bit older. Um, 
or just as time has gone on and and the new series has developed, I think it's not it doesn't quite reach the same heights as as series one. Um, because I I think I would struggle to pick a bad episode out of series one, but with series two, I know there's some I'm not so keen on. Um, I'm I I don't get so much out of New Earth or Love and Monsters, I <laughs> which I know people have reevaluated and and it's now enjoyed more than it used to be, but I I still don't get it. I'm afraid to say. <laughs> Unbelievable. But <laughs> I feel like we're being sort of. Not very quietly judged by Holly here, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, I'll, I'll try and be positive. Um, the two that always that whenever I think a series two come to mind are, as I said, the Impossible Planet. Um, but the other one is School Reunion. Um, which a lot of people, I guess, that's going to be a standout for an awful lot of people because we get Sarah Jane and we get K Nine back, and it's almost like a backdoor pilot for the Sarah Jane Adventures, which goes on to become a huge, massive success. Um, but it, it picks up, I think, really well with Sarah, where it, where you know she left off back in, in The Hand of Fear. Um, and I don't know that any other classic companion could have come back and had the same impact as Sarah did, um, and that Elizabeth Sladen did, just, uh, you know... There's no character just like Sarah in the Doctor Who universe. There's no companion. And I find it amazing looking back that we get her and K9 back in the second series. You know, it would have been very understandable for Russell and the team at the time to consider, you know, hanging back with that sort of thing. But I love that they went in straight off the back and brought her, brought her in so successfully. And it kind of... Um... It happened in a very sort of new who way as well. It was very much, you know, exploring life after the Doctor and sort of the consequences of travelling with him, which the classic series would never have gone anywhere near. Um, but yeah, it was great. All of a sudden, Sarah Jane and K9 were there and uh, it was a proper sort of punch in the air moment for fans when, you know, when her and the Doctor first met and, she finally worked out who he was, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was great. It's. I probably need to reassess series two. It it's always the one that I'm down on. It's always the one that I pick out as my sort of least favorite since it returned and all that kind of thing. But I suppose to put it in context, it's the difficult second album, and we've got a new lead singer. Um, it's never going to be easy to do. And it was incredibly successful and it sort of, I think it in terms of good it did for the show and the number of fans that it brought on board and sort of the amount of interest in the show that it generated, it probably did a hell of a lot more than series one. So fair play to it. Um, let's move on then to uh, series three. Um Rose has gone, we've got Martha, and one of the big storylines that runs through the series is, is the Doctor kind of getting over Rose, getting over having lost her in the parallel universe, and I actually think it's the weakest part of the series. Um, don't know what you guys think about that, uh, Holly? Um, I, uh, I think it probably just depends an awful lot on 
on whether you liked Rose as a character and, and how invested you were in, in that relationship with the Tenth Doctor in Series 2. Um, so yeah, I I can imagine that if you weren't that keen on that, which in itself is fair enough, like she's, I love her, but she she can she can be definitely be unlikable uh, at times. Uh, so yeah, I guess I guess if you're not a fan of that, I can see why having so much of that running through series three might be an issue. But I don't know, as someone who who was invested in that dynamic, um, I'd have been I'd have been sad to see it just completely dropped. I think, but yeah, I think it's just unfortunate that. I think it's unfortunate that it coincided with the new companion, Martha, obviously, uh, having be, being in love with the Doctor, essentially, and that being unrequited. I think that maybe did Martha a bit of a disservice. Um, so one or the other maybe would have been would have been better. Yeah, I'm not sure. I come and go on it. I think you're right about um, sort of Martha getting a kind of rough end of the deal just as a character. It's it's a slightly odd approach to take to introduce this new companion. And, you know, in some ways, it could have been make or break for New Doctor Who because the third series was the first series where none of the original cast from 2005 were there. Uh, within two series, we've got two completely new leads. So it does seem a bit of an odd approach to take. Um to kind of go, yeah, the other one was better. Um, but, you know, again, it worked. It seemed to be okay. I, I think it's an extremely strong series. I think you've got episodes like uh, Gridlock and you've got, I mean, the run at the end of that series, just sort of everything from uh, human nature onward is just pretty much perfect. It's human nature, family of blood, blink. Um Utopia, Utopia and yeah. the couple of episodes that came after that, I just sort of think that's that might be the most perfect run Doctor Who's ever done. It's an incredibly strong sort of half a series, and for it to be the second half of the series as well, because um, normally, of course, all of the big show-stopping ideas are there at the start of the series. The big look at this, look at all these amazing things. And that kind of gave way to just really strong, good, interesting, inventive storytelling uh, towards the second half of that season. Um, and I love that. I suppose it's fair to call it a three-parter, isn't it? Utopia, Sound Drums and Last of the Time Lords is a three-parter. Um, I, I just think that's it's the perfect Doctor Who finale. I've never, I don't think I've ever been so fond of that finale as I was with um, Doomsday and, and Journey's End. I, 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 I adore the Master, you know, as a villain. I probably, definitely, I would say the Master is my favourite villain. Um, and I think Utopia is perfect as a start to that. But I've never been just as fond of uh, the sound of drums and the last of the Time Lords. Um, which is maybe something I need to go back and reevaluate. Um, but that's always just been my general impression of them. I think that one thing that kind of uh, blindsided people a bit was how John Sim played the master, and they were maybe expecting this sort of suave Delgado type supervillain, 
especially when, you know, in the run-up to it, we had a pretty good idea that Harold Saxon was the master. So you think, oh, he's prime minister. He's going to be a sort of stuffy, smooth. And he wasn't. He was kind of, in a way, he was like a hyperactive child. Um, yeah. And I know that that didn't sort of... Um, not everyone was happy with it. It, it wasn't what everyone expected. But then again, the Doctor has had dramatically different personalities between regenerations. Why shouldn't the Master? Yeah, I, I, I think Sim himself is uh, is brilliant. I, I love him as the Master. And in fact, I, I love his Master. I think maybe it's a bit of a shame that it feels like that's almost become the, the mould for the new Who Master. Because, I mean, Missy set, settles down a bit, but she, she is uh, mad basically and Sasha's got that very sort of hyperactive you know that I think they're all a bit of a similar energy now maybe which is kind of a shame but I think back then it it was novel because he was so different from all the classic doctors um and I think his performance carries it to be honest I really like it but I, I understand being less keen on it as well He's also played pretty much three different versions of the Master now across, you know, Series 3, um, The End of Time, and then um, uh, World Enough and Time, The Doctor Falls. Um, there's The, the personality is quite distinct in all three of those. Um, I definitely do prefer the more classic-tinged version from Series 10, but I don't think he did it badly in Series 3 or, or even in The End of Time. It's just not maybe just as much for me. Yeah, I can understand that. You're right, actually. He's sort of he's played it in three very different ways for various reasons. Um, I think I do overall prefer the World Enough and Time version, but I think you know, in uh, Utopia when he first regenerated, I think that that was the perfect master for then for Tennant's Doctor for Russell T Davies' idea of Doctor Who and all that kind of thing. Um, I think that was just absolutely spot on. Okay, let's have a look at series four then. Um, you said it was your favourite, Connor, so you go first. Yeah, there's so many good ones in there. Um, and most of it actually, I think, comes down to Donna and the dynamic between David Tennant and Catherine Tate. It's the first series, I think. Well, it's it's the one that I think this is the one that this is where this the new series starts firing on on all cylinders. I think it's maybe the first time that, or it's it's maybe in around the time where it was reaching the peak of it, its uh, success, um, in the UK at least. Um, and it's 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 brilliant. There's there's some really really incredible stories in there. The fires of Pompeii. Um, I think is it the second one in the series? It's it's always one of my go-tos when I'm looking for a new series episode just to sit down and watch for an hour. Um, it's such a perfect showcase for Donna and her compassion because I think Donna started out almost being presented as a, a rather self-centered sort of character but gets to develop and we, we see this head in depth here where she's really, really compassionate about other people. And that's the first time that that sort of boils over and we see it is the fires of Pompeii um, where she wants the doctor to save the whole town. He can't, but she pushes him to save as many as he can, even if it's just one family. 
Um, that's amazing. You have silence in the library in there um, with Forest of the Dead. And we get introduced to River Song, um, probably the biggest guest star of the new series. Um, there, there again, definitely. <laughs> I would point out I had already been in it by then. I know, but I mean, I mean, I mean, in terms of character, um, rather than guest actor, I would love if 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 Derek Jacobi had come back as many times as River oh, Song did. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> fair, fair well, enough. thanks to Big Finish. Um... Well, yes, indeed, and with David Tennant now as well. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. Is that next month. It is next month. It is, it? yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um. Um, and we also get uh, one of the things I, I wanted to mention during series three. There was Blink, um, which does the multi or what does that? I was going to say the multi doctor concept, the the Doctor Light concept in um, such a good way that you get Carrie Mulligan um, replacing the series leads and making the show her own for a week, um, and and doing it so brilliantly. Um, and then in series four, then you get Midnight, which does the same, where which which is companion light, and it's it's you know it's the budget episode, but it has such a stunning concept and it has such a stunning execution, um that it's 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 something I like. It's, it's it's when was the last time we had like one of those really low budget episodes that is so tight and works so well? I can't remember like the last time they did a Doctor Light. Um, and it's something I really hope that they bring back is that sort of creativity um, and and look, taking the show and, and doing a completely different approach other than Doctor and TARDIS and Companion land somewhere and have big space adventure. Do something like this where it's a bit interesting, it's a bit unusual and and becomes a complete and total classic. You know, it's easy for me to say that, but I would really genuinely love more more things like Blink and Midnight uh, to come back into the series. I guess in terms of like low budget and confined, we had uh, Eve of the Daleks not that long ago. But yeah, in terms of Doctor Light, it sort of that sort of stopped being a thing after the after Tenant left. It feels like, um, and yeah, I yeah I agree. I just I think it's uh, a real shame, and it gave us gave us things like Blink and. Uh, Turn left as well, obviously, in series four, which is uh, incredible, and love of monsters, and yeah, I think it forces it forces the creativity that um, has yeah, it would it'd just be nice to to see more of that kind of thing. Um, it yeah, it feels like it's been a while, basically. I'm glad you mentioned uh, turn left. Excellent episode, um, but there was something that appeared on Twitter the other day that was from uh, Doctor Who Adventures. I don't know if either of you guys saw this, uh, but we've got... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Mr. Colasanto, who gets sort of in a very, very, very dark scene, uh, gets shipped off to a labour camp. Um, Doctor Who Adventures ran a competition. Uh, Jolly Mr. Colasanto escaped the labour camp and is hiding in our issue. Tell us which page he's on and you could win this great Doctor Who Uno set. Um, wow. I don't well, know how that made it past BBC marketing. <laughs> so now now I can yeah. watch Turn Left and it's not sad, it's fine. Yeah, we know he escaped and hid in a magazine. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, all good. Kind of wonder what they were thinking with that one. Um, 
No, I agree. Turn left is is an incredibly good episode, and it's again, it's another one that kind of leads into a finale and opens up. I suppose it's less of a is it a three part debate than Utopia in series three, but it's certainly very strongly thematically linked to um, the Stolen Earth and Journey's End, which gives us perhaps the most tragic companion departure ever uh, because as we've already mentioned donna's character really does develop very very quickly actually uh, as connor said sort of you know even in her second episode as a regular pfizer pompeii all of a sudden there's this sort of compassionate side that we hadn't seen before and i suppose really she was written as kind of a one-off slightly over the top character for runaway bride all a bit light-hearted and Christmassy, and then all of a sudden she's got to become this very, uh, you know, she's got to become a lead, she's got to become a strong character that leads the show. Um, so they needed to add layers to her very, very quickly, and I agree, Pfizer Pompeii did that absolutely perfectly. Um, and Donna's character really does develop, and then that is all very cruelly taken away in the finale. Um She's kind of, as a character, she's reset. And this brilliant, amazing Donna, more than the sum of her parts that she became, was completely wiped out. Um, and that was a shame. And it'll be interesting to see how that's dealt with in what's coming next year. Um, Holly, your thoughts on Series 4? Anything to add? Um, yeah, just, I mean, I totally agree about Donna. Um, but I think that was all. I think that was always the strength for me of of the Russell Davis era is all of those characters just felt so real and human and relatable, even if they weren't being especially likable all the time. But I think I think that's maybe a good thing. I think likability is uh, <laughs> overrated. Um, and yeah, I think the more that you invest in those characters and believe in them, then kind of the madder you can go with the rest of it and, and you're still you're still with it and it still feels not not real but you know you know what I mean you can you can go with it more I think and um and that's a good thing because there are some mad ideas in series four like walking fat it's it's kind of insane but I think it really I think it really works in the context of um like Donna doing her own thing and investigating and and grounding it and then yeah so I think that really works um and like the shadow proclamation I wish we'd got the version of the shadow proclamation that that Russell Lewis wanted where it was just <laughs> that whole place packed out with every alien we've ever seen from series one onwards uh but yeah I just think I just think there's so many brilliant ideas in series four and it does so much so well and I think that is because the whole thing is anchored by Tennant and Tate and that that dynamic, which is just endlessly watchable. Yeah. And then uh, after series four came the specials. We had we had a gap year, something that we're used to now, but kind of it was a first for Doctor Who. It had a gap sixteen years, but um, yeah, we'd done four series. We we're having a gap year. We knew that Tennant was going to regenerate at the end of that. Um, those specials are 
I think, a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, there's one that sort of stands out to me as one of the greatest episodes and potentially, potentially David Tennant's best episode, uh, which is Waters of Mars. I absolutely love it. Um, end of time can be a little, should we say, divisive. I sort of land on the side of quite liking it, but I know that others don't. Um, the specials, what are your thoughts, Holly? Um, yeah, I, I, I really like The End of Time as well, to be honest. But uh, just on, on Waters of Mars, I was nine, I think. Yeah, I was nine when that came out. And uh, I think it was the episode back then that scared me the most out of any of them way more than blink more than signs of a library past of the dead i have a vivid memory of seeing the trailer for the waters of mars and then just like not sleeping for a week <laughs> so thank you for that russell t davis um but yeah i think i think it's it's definitely one of his strongest episodes um and i, I like how as this, as that whole those specials progress they they do get darker and more grown up and you get that sense of foreboding um yeah i no, i I like knowing that we're building towards a regeneration and and playing into that and i think uh yeah i just i just think it was it was really effective and it made that whole time lord victorious turn like you're kind of with him on it uh or well i was anyway um yeah, I think I think as a as a trio of stories, it, it's actually really tight and um, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Really. I I almost wish we and it, it's been done retrospectively, but I almost wish we'd have got to sort of see more of the Time Lord Victorious, um, you know, in between Waters of Mars and End of Time. It's obviously it's become this big multimedia spin-off thingy but um i just kind of thought it was a really interesting route to take the doctor down kind of uh kind of um is you know is he is he going a bit evil is he a bit power mad now is he entering ends justify the means territory or um it's a shame that kind of wasn't picked up on but then again no one was going to want evil grumpy tenant in his final episode, we wanted one last big hurrah, which is what we got, really. Um, Connor, sort of, your thoughts on the specials? Again, yeah, I think I agree with you that, you you know, when you say that they're a mixed bag, I don't think any of them are outright bad. I think um, the next Doctor starts off, I, 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 do, I really do enjoy it, but I think it maybe falls apart slightly by the end, and you have the giant cyber you know the giant cyberman stomping over london and it's it, it it loses me a little bit so it's it's a mixed episode even in itself there's there's some really good stuff towards the beginning um i i i tend to enjoy watching um planet of the dead when i'm watching it you know but it's not one that ever sticks in my memory as a particularly good episode um as as you say, Waters of Mars is amazing and brilliant and, and deserves all the praise that it has received over the years. The Flood are terrifying. There's that shot of uh, um, 
one of the base crew members as they've just made a call or they've listened to the last message from their family and the water starts spilling into the communication booth and they just start shaking and it's shot through like two layers of water streaked glass so you never actually see the transformation but you just see them standing there shaking as the water takes them it's it's really really scary and then the end of time is good but i think it sort of shows it you know maybe russell's tendency to go too big at times um and when you read the writer's tale there's a bit in there where he was planning to include the daleks in there um and and have the time lords sort of teaming up with the daleks at the very end of the time war that they reach a pact and decide to destroy the rest of the universe i think that um, as, as as Ben Cook rightly pointed out in, in the writer's tale would have been too far um, but there's still elements of that that approach left in in the end of time where you get this great big blockbustery um, mega special episode where it doesn't quite land I think in the same way as some of Russell's other finales Um simply because he's taken that approach and he's gone too big for its own good which could be pure nonsense but it's all the way always the way i've thought about it no i see what you mean it's end of time is it's sort of a spectacle really it's you know it's about all these big showy set pieces you know you've got um the reveal of the time lords at the cliffhanger along with everybody in the world being turned into the master and it it was huge all of these big sort of visual things going on uh, if i were to sort of aim any criticism at the episode it would be that kind of why everything's happening is a little bit woolly there are a lot of prophecies and predictions and the book of saxon and all that kind of thing and it all just gets a little bit it's a bit un-Doctor who it's a little bit too, all of this has been predicted and prophesied and sort of Doctor Who's approach to that kind of thing is very much, no, there's, there's science, it was, you know, in the demons it was very much science, not magic. Um, and we just started to cross over into slightly magic territory there. Um, and I think it's just because a lot of this was unexplained you know, the Master had a cult that followed him on Earth and knew how to bring him back. Um, you know, he will knock four times because one person is randomly psychic in Planet of the Dead. and um, It all just gets a little bit too big and a bit, a bit unexplained. Um, maybe, you know, they... What we're seeing on screen isn't actually backed up with any sort of tangible explanation. We're just as the audience expected to kind of nod along with a lot of it and go, oh yeah, the Master wrote a load of books about how to bring him back to life if he died and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. I suppose also, I suppose the other thing is that it's not really, the story isn't really about that. Like, we, he sort of, we need to get Johnson back as soon as possible and then we can go into this doctor versus master stuff you know and it but I, I do know what you mean it can be it can be maybe a bit frustrating to watch those that those early 
part one end of time it's a bit like oh what so they've they've done what they've got a book now okay cool I'll, I'll go with it um yeah i i think i think my favorite thing about the end of time controversially is uh well apart from just ten and wilf together being amazing is um is his reluctance to regenerate i think it's really honest and like i get why people don't like it but also it it feels different and it feels right for for his doctor and he he was my first doctor and i i i don't think i necessarily agree with i think the, the big criticism you hear is that well how how are people going to accept the new guy if if the old guy doesn't want to go but you know, I, di- I didn't have that problem. I think it it makes the end of time part two, I think it makes the whole regeneration pack more of a punch the fact that he doesn't want to go and sort of, like, why should he? He is becoming a whole new person. It It is a form of death. But at the same time, it didn't stop me embracing Matt Smith immediately. Um, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting way to look at regeneration, which, which hadn't really been done before. I kind of like the idea of him sort of picking picking uh, favourites in terms of his regenerations and you know he really really liked being 10 and didn't actually get to be 10 for very long sort of he became the doctor 900 years old and regenerated at about 904 sort of in terms of how long a regeneration lived for 10 was really really short lived um and I quite like, it's never really sort of talked about or highlighted, but I quite like that sort of in this post-Time War universe where he's supposedly on his own, um, he is losing his lives a lot quicker and he's actually becoming attached to them. He's actually appreciating who he is uh, and that's taken away from him. So I think actually there's a sort of huge emotional sort of kick there that it doesn't quite you know expressly state but it's kind of hinted at i suppose so we'll move on uh the great thing is thanks to big finish uh the tenth doctor continues um as do all the other doctors um We've listened to a Tenth Doctor release, that being Out of Time 1, where he uh, meets a former self, he meets Tom Baker. Um, So I'm just going to kind of get your thoughts on that. Connor, you go first. It's, It's the perfect big finish for, I think, newcomers to start with, because it has... You know, it, it's it's written all over the front cover. It's David Tennant and Tom Baker in uh, an adventure with the Daleks. It's the most fun any Doctor Who fan can have with a pair of headphones, um, is the way I always describe it. But it's perfect for newcomers because it bridges the gap between um, what some people would think of as the best of the new series with the best of the classic series. Um even right down to the Daleks, you know, you have the the Red Supreme Dalek with an army of grey drones. It's 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 it makes absolutely no sense, but it's it's just like they've thrown the two you know the two versions of Doctor Who together, and and made something that just works really brilliantly. 
Um, and there's an amazing, oh, there's there's a really great relationship between the two doctors in it, where you have the tenth looking back at his past. At you know, he's coming towards the end of his life. There's a, there's a this is actually um his last adventure before he meets um Ud Sigma at the start of End of Time. It's that there's a there's a bit about the phosphorus carousel at the end, which ties into sort of the stuff he says at the beginning of the End of Time. Um, when he meets Ud Sigma, so this is the very this this is the tenth Doctor's very last story before he goes to regenerate, um, and he gets to look back at who he has been and what he was all those years ago, and the fourth Doctor gets to look forward, you know, towards his future, at a point in his life. I think it's just after is it the invasion of time or the deadly assassin. Deadly assassin, yeah, and he gets he gets a look forward, you know, when he's he's looking for a bit of direction. So it works really well for the two versions of the Doctor. Um, Holly, what do you think? Um, yeah, it's just it's exactly what you said, Connor. It's it's like popcorn who basically, but there is there is absolutely a, a place for that. I think it it just taken on on those merits is kind of a you know a run around with Tennant and, and Tom Baker and Daleks I think it's great um and also it's not it's not just the perfect big finish for a newcomer I think it was also like exactly what well speaking for myself exactly what I wanted at that time you know it was obviously it was recorded in in lockdown but it, I think it was written for lockdown and it was was it the first tenant release that we got you know when they banked a whole load of stuff with him I, th- I think it was the first one yeah, that they actually released um yeah and it's just it's just a really easy nice listen basically um but yeah i think there's a place for that when you do it as well as as this does i think you've summed it up perfectly by calling it popcorn who actually it, it absolutely is um I know that some people have sort of said they're not, you know, it's not the favourite, they're not overly keen on it, or, you know, it's it's too generic. It's what do you want? It's it's David Tennant meets Tom Baker and Daleks are in it. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna it's not gonna be some in depth, complex, over the top epic story. It's just gonna be it's going to be a fun run around and it's completely about the interactions between the two doctors. Um, and I think in terms of that, it just sort of sticks the landing perfectly. Yeah. And there's, there's some weight to those interactions. Like it, it feels consequential for, um, well, certainly for Tennant, given where he is at, uh, chronologically, just in terms, in terms of him having to confront, is it right that I'm alone and, you know, how long can that really, how long is that sustainable? I think it, um, yeah, you know, there's not nothing to it. It's, it's, it's a slight plot, I, I guess, but, um, yeah, there's, there's, I think there's a lot going on under the surface that maybe people don't give it quite enough credit for. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I do particularly love the, the last sort of bit of the episode where the two of them are just sort of saying their goodbyes and uh, 
the fourth doctor in a sort of very cheeky Tom Baker kind of way says, you know, go on, give us a hint what's going to happen next. You know? um, and Tennant eventually just sort of says, oh, you're going to settle down with a nice t- uh, time lady and a dog. Um, I just yeah. think that's that that's, that's the kind of thing you want from that episode, just kind of the older one there baiting the younger one a little bit, for want of a better word, just sort of teasing him a bit. Um, and it's very tenth doctor kind of explaining it but not explaining it, which is something he would tend to do. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, one more thing for us to talk about. Uh, what is essentially David Tennant's fourth series, uh, Dalek Universe? Um, the that's why it's a product of covid and lockdown really isn't it i doubt we'd have had it otherwise and um we've sort of heard things about how just how quickly it was written and recorded uh i believe there was something like a two week gap between the first draft of the first episode being written and the recording actually taking place um but yeah dalek universe it's it is effectively tenant's fourth series and it's uh it sort of ties in quite nicely to it's called Dalek Universe, really it's Terry Nation Universe. It sort of explores his uh bits of the series. So um we'll just throw in another spoiler warning now. I know it's been out a little while, but um there are some fairly big Dalek Universe game changing spoilers, so just in case you've not heard it, you have been warned. Um, just as a whole, Dalek Universe. Um, what, what would you say about it, Holly? Um, I, I loved, I loved listening to it at the time. I don't know if it's something I'll necessarily go back to. Um, but as as an event, as an event lesson, those box sets coming out once every, however long it was. Again, over, over lockdown. Um, and it felt like they tried to put a, a big twist into every single one and that like you really had to be listening at the time so as not to be spoiled and I think on that basis it was really really strong yeah I, I loved I loved I loved it as I was as it was coming out um and especially that first that first box set it really felt like it sort of set set its stall out for the whole thing um the the monk slash nun twist basically than the the regeneration um yeah it was just an event listen and i really really enjoyed it at the time i'm actually i am going to revisit it at some point soon probably in the next few months um purely because i am curious to see how like you say sort of it was very much an event curious to see how it would stand up outside of that also listening to it as one series because obviously I listened to it on release previously with two or three months in between. Yeah, I do. I do think it would stand up like it was. It was strong, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll look forward to revisiting it at some point. At some point, uh, Connor, what do you sort of think about Dalek Universe? Did you enjoy it? Yes, yes, yes. I did enjoy it. Um, and I, I, as as Holly said, you know, it, I think it came out every three months. It was. As as you said, it was an event lesson, and I really loved just how tight you know because usually with big finished box sets and certainly with the Paul McGann ones, we get um you know 
big months-long gaps between them, but Dalek Universe came out in quite a short space of time by comparison and was all the better for it, I think. Um, the only... I, I, I love it to bits. I think it's, you know, some of Tenon's strongest work on, on audio. Um, but the only the only thing is I, I, I had wanted a, a Tenant series for so long, and then when it did come along, I think it's almost a shame that it tied in so much to the Terry Nation stuff and the Dalek Master Plan stuff because it makes it such um, a, a continuity heavy story to get into. Like you sort of need to know about um, Anya's and and uh, you know her background with the Fourth Doctor, um, and you need to maybe know a little bit about the Daleks' Master Plan, you know, to get into her series. So there's a lot of homework to do. Um, and I almost wish they'd done something that was just completely new, but it's fantastic. It's 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 such a, a good series to get into once you've done all that. Um, and it really makes the best use of putting Tennant back in the classic series. You get you get a story with the meddling monk or the meddling nun, uh, which is amazing. And I, I, I will never get over the shock of that reveal. Um, you get some really strong character work with Anya in there in, is it the House of Kingdom? Yes. Is that third episode where they meet her uncle? And just, you know, as the whole thing goes on, it just gets, you know, it just gets better and better. Um, it's something I definitely can't wait to get back into. Uh, see, now you make me think I should listen to it again. <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I should. <laughs> See, I've been doing, I, I did um, the Daleks Master Plan at the start of the year. I'm currently doing the Sarah Kingdom trilogy. I'm going to start the Fourth Doctor and and um, Anne Kelso stories pretty soon. And then towards the end of the year, I'm going to do Dalek Universe. So I've done that whole series of, of stories that, you know, takes place throughout the Doctor's lives this year. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it'll all work once it's, you know, all fitted together like that. Yeah, that is a good way of doing it. Yeah, I'd be tempted to do the same, a sort of Anya marathon. Um, it'd be great. But yeah, a friend, um, a friend of mine actually calls it the Kingdom Saga. All of those stories put together. Oh, I like, I like that. that. That's nice. Um, but yeah, no, Dalek Universe, I'm really glad we got that. And I think it was something we'd probably never have gotten if it wasn't for sort of covid and lockdown and that kind of thing and um yeah i look forward to re-listening to it at some point uh we shall move on now though uh this is a very long episode we're doing good um i'm just gonna sort of end us on our usual end of the podcast section which is what else have we been listening to it can be absolutely anything doctor who not doctor who not even big finish, just yeah, what you've been listening to. Uh Holly, you go first. Uh I have been quite busy the last few weeks, uh annoyingly, so I haven't had a huge amount of time to listen to much. So I've basically just been mainlining Jago and Lightfoot <laughs> ahead of possibly a podcast on that. So yeah, I won't say too much more. I've been doing exactly the same for exactly the same reason. It's almost like we've got a Jago and Lightfoot episode planned, isn't it? Who knows? Uh, Connor, what about you? Um, I've 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 been doing um that seventh Doctor trilogy from the start of, uh, must be twenty twenty with Time Lord villains. Um, I did Dark Universe with the Eleven. I I've 
I really do like the 11 and the 9 and the 12. I think they're such a, a brilliant creation um, and a really, really unique idea for a, a, you know, a spin on the Time Lord or a Time Lord villain. I'm currently doing Subterfuge with Rufus Hound's Monk, um, who I absolutely adore. Um, it's, it's a huge amount of fun to hear him going up against Sylvester McCoy. Um, and I'll shortly be moving on again to the Locum Doctors trilogy, um, which again has has a bit of a, a Time Lordy villain connection there, which I maybe don't want to spoil for people who haven't heard heard it. But it's yeah, it's 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 it's. I remember enjoying the end of it more than the the the, the other two, but it's it's something I'm looking forward to getting back into and reevaluating maybe. Yeah, I um. I, I definitely need to give that Locum Doctor trilogy a re-listen. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't decide whether I did like it or not, but it was a long time ago that I heard it now. Um, and uh, what have I been listening to? I've been doing Jago and Lightfoot, I've already said that. So I did that bit earlier. All right, well, that is our David Tennant episode wrapped up. Uh, I'm sure we will revisit the Tenth Doctor at some point in the future. After all, there is so much we haven't discussed. Um, but yeah, it's been great to talk Tenant with you guys. Um, so thank you very much. Likewise. Um, thank you very so much. This is, yeah, thank you. This is our first episode of two this week, a two-episode week. We're spoiling you. Um, so following this, a couple of days later, we're going to have an episode called Not Who, where we talk about uh, big finish releases that aren't Doctor Who. So we look at the classics range and we look at um, Sherlock Holmes and Dorian Gray. And you're joining me for that one, aren't you, Connor? Yeah, you just can't get rid of me at the moment. I know, that's three on the bounce. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me for recording um so we shall leave it there thank you to all who have listened uh, don't forget to follow us on twitter and facebook and all that sort of thing uh so uh i will say goodbye to you guys goodbye holly goodbye and goodbye connor goodbye uh, and uh, goodbye to listeners thank you very much <laughs>